0: You're listening to the Tennis.com Podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. We are back at the Tennis.com Podcast. Ed McGrogan and Steve Tigner uh, to bat around the latest results and happenings in the tennis world. Um, Steve, maybe uh, from last weekend, you know, what was, before we kind of get into some things I wanted to, to talk about this week... You know, from last weekend, it was, you know, as you described it. I think a, you know, it's a time where we get a maybe a wide variety of stories, and some of them, because of really the the spotlight that that's maybe not on them, maybe come out even better in the end. And I think, you know, we did get a few of those last week.
1: Yeah, I think when you
0: have uh, a
1: section of time without, you know, you don't have Djokovic, Federer. Murray, Serena, Sharapova—any of the bigger names—you do get to focus on some of these other people. You know, there's a lot of tournaments that that um, that are, you know, and the fact that they're spread out gives more people a chance to go deeper in the tournaments. So I think you see some, you know, you tend to see younger players do better now. We saw a few 18-year-olds, um, Zverev, on the men's side, Kazakina on the women's side, and especially for American fans, Taylor Fritz. You now the tournament in Memphis, which was mostly Americans, was really a good opportunity for him, and you know he took advantage of it, made it to the final there. So I think that's, if you're an American fan or a men's tennis fan, that's you know that was the story of the weekend, him reaching the final. He did lose to Nishikori, but for 18 years old, his third event, that's, that's you know pretty significant.
0: I found it somewhat humorous that. Fritz is when he was entered in singles and doubles in this tournament, and his doubles partner was Ryan Harrison, who I feel like I remember uh, having a discussion really about Harrison, and it could be said for a number of other American players, you know, five, six years ago throughout time where we do see um, we're we're kind of taken by a young young player, a, a good run at an event, Harrison obviously someone who really has just has for through injuries through inability to just you know win the matches he's needed to win you know hasn't been able to to bring that and I think many people have really already moved past him it's 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 very it's it's amazing how quickly things move in tennis that that does not seem that long ago but
1: yeah Harrison you know now he's taking pointers on his backhand from from Fritz from the 18 year old he's watching him for yeah to how to hit it, but yeah, it's hard. You know, it's hard to know. Fritz has a lot of good things about him: the serve, the fact that he's six four and he's probably going to get bigger, um, big forehand and backhand, good from both sides. But then, you know, and he he does well in in one tournament, and makes the final, and then he loses in the first round of the next event, which isn't surprising. You know, he lost to Tim Smietek, a player ranked around a hundred or so. Um, so you just don't. You know, it's it's hard to say. I, I would say right now, you could say that Fritz has the good offensive weapons, but needs to improve on on defense, speed, um, you know, you know, retrieving some of the basic stuff that that is really more important than ever in in men's tennis. Now, that's the, you know, those are the guys that win that can that can do both. So, so you sort of see some good things in Fritz and some reasons to to wonder too.
0: Yeah, and. I know I'm kind of invoking a lot of symbolism here, but it, I also kind of find it interesting that of the players he beats, he beats Michael Moe, who was a, a fellow junior, or really a former junior. And he goes on and beats two guys, Steve Johnson and Benjamin Becker, that are really the you know the epitome of of playing college tennis and going through that that stage of a career. Those two guys uh, in Baylor and USC um, really. Paying their dues in that respect, and, and they've touted that experience a lot uh, in their time, you know, as b- becoming professionals and what it, what it's made them now on the tour. Fritz obviously went a different route. He um, is a junior junior slam champ, and you know, really, we'd heard about his name a little bit last year too, especially if you were, I think, following the those lower those um, levels of tennis a bit. But but you know, it's It's interesting with with that. uh, To you know, there there are different routes to the game. Um, I also found last week that you could say the same for. You look at the champions and who had great um, results last week. You had eighteen-year-olds winning matches, getting uh, very deep in tournaments. You had Venus Williams at thirty-five winning a title. You had Vinci in her early thirty-three, I believe. Um, It was a you know it's kind of a just a, a really a hodgepodge of all the different varieties um of players out there
1: yeah i think we saw the you know youth do well but they can only go so far it's still you know it's still kind of a a tour where experience matters the most vinci beat belinda bencic who's another 18 year old who who is made you know she's reached the top 10 now so she's you know we can definitely say she's for real she's already really made it um and we'll expect a lot more from her but she lost in the final to vinci Venus williams who we maybe we thought at the start of the year was was um you know fading a little bit she had a rough start to the to you know rough first month but she wins a tournament she you know she gets sort of back on track at 35 um in you know in and then in uh memphis you see fritz does well but but he can't but kena shikori the Experienced player, the the top five player. He you know he comes away with that. So there's no big revolutions in the game. You know you just don't see those anymore.
0: What do you uh, of Fritz and maybe a guy who is often who could be compared to him, or who he could be compared to? I really should say, um, Jack Sock. I mean I, I mean do you do you find that these two styles? Because what I gather from you know, sock with the, with the massive forehand and and Fritz you know seemingly has that that cool serve and an ability to, to find his way um, out of trouble and also just to, to assert you know that shot over his opponents. I mean what I I'm, I'm asking less about you know what you think of the futures of these two, but is it more that it's these styles of players that, um, maybe are throwbacks in a way to really the, the, the successful American men that you could think you could hearken back to of you know, that era going into Roddick and guys like that that, that, that possess that weapon, that maybe, maybe that's something that of the crop of American you know, men's players and kind of this sort of uh, this lull that, that, the, that the country's been in, maybe these guys have you know, what's needed to kind of break through that ceiling
1: yeah i think you come from there's two different sock and fritz are two different um styles two different strengths sock's really fast uh like you said has the huge forehand runs around it as often as possible he's got a big serve i don't know if it has the variety of fritz you know fritz is better more solid from forehand and backhand he's not as fast you know i guess it depends on on what we think works better now you know i Fritz is significantly younger. He stayed with Sock pretty well at the Australian Open. I don't know who's you know who's ceiling is higher. Fritz, I think, is better. It seems to be better at staying calm in matches. Uh, Sock is you know he's sort of a work in progress as far as I feel like you know staying positive and and, and not getting negative. Um, I guess you would look at you would look at Sock and say he's more in the Roddick mode with a bigger you know even bigger forehand, but Fritz is. I don't. I don't think Fritz fits a certain pattern. He reminds me of Sampras in the way he looks and acts and the way he serves. The way you know where he's from, Southern California, but he obviously doesn't play Sampras's game. He plays a more modern game. Fritz is sort of. I think he's a little unique in that his backhand is pretty much as good as his forehand. So we'll see. You know we'll see which works better today in, in the next few years
0: yeah and we, and we will see you know in particular fritz and sock of course who will be seeing those guys uh, quite a bit I think over the you know the remainder of this month and in the next month you know, a lot of a few tournaments have given wild cards out to Fritz Indian wells you know most significantly and you know they'll be uh, they'll get those opportunities um, right away too so um, you know big forehand it, it's you can't mention that without thinking of uh, Juan Martín Del Potro. That's uh, still his his forehands hitting the 2009 open final against Federer, some of probably the biggest we've seen um, ever. And it seems like it was that long ago that he's played. It's just, it's been a, or has played to that level. He probably is, probably will turn out to be honestly the peak of his career was that moment there. Um, but Del Potro really has kind of had a, you know, just a really injury-filled career since that point, point. Um, and he comes back this week in Delray Beach. Um, you know, wins his opener against Dennis Kudla too. Gets um, pretty pretty easy scoreline too with that one and four, four and one. I'm just losing track of which one it was. But but you know, I guess what I wonder is, you know, what do you does does Del Potro at this stage of of not only his career but of other players' careers, you know, does he really possess that? Do, do, does he have that threat that is like, oh, he, you know, he is back, and if he rounds himself into form, you know, we can expect him to kind of maybe be one of those missing links that that uh, can influence the top of the game or. Or what I wonder is if really, A, he's lost, you know, he's not only he has lost too much ground already w- with such a, a troubled few years, but really, I think, honestly, the players around him have only improved since that point.
1: Yeah, Delpo is now 27. He won the U.S. Open when he was 20. He's basically missed three years, three separate seasons. You know, he's coming back after having not played for 11 months, but... He barely played in the in the year before that as well, so it's almost like a two-year layoff he's had with two separate wrist surgeries um, and even some other work. I think it's you know he's from what I you could see last night he still has his serve he still has his forehand that was amazing uh, how good he was on that side but it's all really will depend on the backhand and how he feels as far as his wrist goes he didn't really ever swing through and hit one as hard as you know. Let one fly, at all um, last night. He didn't need to. I think that match is was great, you know great for Delpo, but I don't think I think Kula was nervous. He didn't do everything he could to to take advantage of of the situation, take advantage of Delpo's backhand. I would uh, guess that somebody else will will do better in that regard pretty soon. But you know, Del Potro sliced the backhand a lot. He sort of pushed through it. It was good enough you know maybe that's good enough to be get him into the top 20 that's definitely not good enough for him to win grand slams maybe he was felt some pain or maybe probably most likely he was just a little nervous about hitting through it and hurting himself or feeling pain again he just doesn't want to do that he said before the match that he was nervous you know really nervous probably mainly about about not going out and feeling pain again i'm sure that would kill him uh... but i think you, you know it does feel like it's it's probably too late for him you know at this point you, you probably shouldn't say that in that we've had late grand slam winners but all that time off um he'll have to have the backhand as good as it was when he was 20 to be to be at that to get back to where he was and it, you know we'll see it's yeah right and
0: now, the and so the fun. rest of this you know the this stretch of the year uh, i think is is interesting for Del Potro in a few ways. Um, you know, he'll have he'll be reintroduced to the game in in uh, this hard court stretch. I, I I've always thought Del Potro is a pretty pretty tough player at at the you know at the Masters level events where you're not getting best three of five. You're not stretched over two weeks. You know, he's had very good results at in fact in any walls in Wells Miami before and I. He, you know, he reminds me kind of like a sangha type player in in that respect, where, you know, he can catch fire and can, you know, beat anyone clearly with with what he brings in that moment in in, in those formats. And, but I, but I, you know, when we're talking about seeing what he, the kind of resistance his backhand uh, can handle and being tested over and over again, I. I'm curious to see really his schedule going forward altogether. I mean, uh, you're not going to be you couldn't possibly test a backhand more than on a clay court, and that's you know where the season pretty much is going to head for two to three months uh, pretty shortly. And and also I, I wonder you know about with the Olympics being in South America how big of a deal that is to Del Potro. I, I I can only. Sense that, or surmised that it would be, you know, a very important thing. He had, he had a a, a very memorable Olympics in 2012, um, losing to Federer 16-14, I believe, in a, in a breaker. And and obviously, even though um, you know he's Argentine, not Brazilian, I, it has to be such a huge moment for him to want to get to that. So I, I, I'm almost just as curious to see what he does um, in terms of that respect because. With injuries and and with comeback, you know the schedule is almost just as important.
1: Yeah, I think I think he's probably building his season to that. He, you know, he lost a long third set to Federer, and then he won the bronze over Djokovic in in 2012. I'm sure he, you know, this is something he's thought about, and you know, maybe he's working towards that as much as anything else. Because it's just one event, one week. If he can get, you know, get himself into proper shape for that, that seems doable. Um, the other thing I was struck by is how popular he still is you know if you were on Twitter during his match, it was people were happy to see him back, so you know he 's a nobody 's really forgotten him or you know and I think he i don't think a lot of this tr- it 's also true for a lot of the players so he 's a big part of the tour, and you really hope that that he doesn 't get hurt again
0: yeah and I think that 's really why I wanted to discuss del Potro is because it it does seem for all of these in, you know, for all of the setbacks he's had, and for all the the time he's had off, it, it, he is still a name that generates that interest. And I I wonder if you know, when we think about Grand Slam champions, and there are a lot of one Slam winners um, over careers. Uh, you, I think we often like to think of players who've done it in their youth and really just kind of broke the mold, uh, at that time, we, we hold them in such a different light than, you know, we see, uh, a, a player who wins one when they're, you know, when they're much older. Uh, I think a lot of, I think the, the reflex is to call that kind of not, it's not, it's, it's less about finally overcoming something is, and more of like, oh, it's, it's, it was untapped potential that you only, only managed to win one of these, um, you know. I think some would even go so far as to call it like a fluke run or something. So, I, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of thinking of of one slam winners. Like, you know, I think Michael Chang is perhaps a great example of winning one uh, at such a young age, and and his whole career has was I think defined by that and that promise. Um, and and you know, that seems to be I think what we're still holding on to. Uh, for Del Potro, you know, whether it comes to light or not.
1: Yeah, I think for Del Po, part of his, you know, it's the, the tragic story that he could have done so much more um, having won one when he was 20. Now it's, you know, he it's more than, it's different from Chang who just never won one. Another one didn't really have the game uh, in his era. And Del Po, you feel like you never know, you don't know what would have happened. I don't think he would have won a lot more during that time, he wasn't going to take over number one. I don't think from from Djokovic or Rafa or Federer, but he would have been in the mix for sure. Um, and he, you know, he still could be. I think he can. He can definitely win another one.
0: Yeah, and um, we'll close this. Just any thoughts on you know, for now at this point, Rafa, Serena, both of those two making their way into news this week. Serena um, pulling out; it was flu based, um, but. You know, we are, I guess, again seeing really some. This is almost a retreat. Um, the way Serena has gone lately to uh, years past, where we're not seeing much of her um, at all, besides uh, the big, the biggest events. Uh, you know, that that sort of caveat said well, she'll be back in Indian Wells, as will Venus this year. Rafa as well gets he goes again this week, um, but did not uh, win last week in South America. Uh, loses to TM and goes to Rio this week. Any any thoughts on those two?
1: Well, I guess with Serena, you have, um, you know, now that she's playing Indian Wells, maybe she's less likely. You know, if she if she doesn't feel her best, maybe she's more likely to pull out of these tournaments. She has the Indian Wells. She has the points coming there. Um, whereas in the past, she would she just went. She didn't have that. She would have to go straight to Key Biscayne, basically one tournament before the clay season. And with Rafa, you know, he's playing more. You know, we see a little less of Serena. See more than she feels like in the last six months. We've seen more of Rafa than we ever have. Right. Uh, um, I didn't feel like he played that. You know, he lost to a Team, like you said, in a third-set tiebreak. He looked tired in that match. Um, didn't, didn't get much on his serve. It was, it was, you know, 85 degrees and humid. And you, you know, you're not used to seeing him get tired, but he did look like it in that match. He looked pretty good in his first round. In Rio, I feel like he's playing well most of the time. There just keeps, you know, comes up with these moments when it looks like he's going to win and then he just doesn't win that point. You know, against team, he he had a match point. Team hit a drill to forehand on the line. Maybe that just doesn't feel like the kind of thing that would have happened to him three or five years ago. But, they, you know, there's just these moments when maybe the confidence isn't there. You don't see it often, but they, it still tends to come up um but i think you know i think working his way back it seems to it, it it seems since last year's us open in general despite the loss at the australian open the progress the progress is good maybe just that little bit that you know that little, bit, bit, of bit, of that little sep- bit of the power, bit that separates yeah he doesn't know, the, separate him anymore so
0: yeah it's true thinking about th- those are all the points that he would never drop um, really, to anyone for for quite a while there. So it's um, Rafa remains, I think, uh, must see in that regard too, to where he where he takes us. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll close with a podcast recommendation as you are all listening to this, Steve. If I don't know if you uh, indulge in other podcasts, but I'll, I'll let you recommend a favorite of your own. Uh, after I will. Uh, Extol the virtues of the Awesome Etiquette podcast. That's that's I said that right. The Awesome Etiquette podcast. I think you should all check that out if you want to be uh, nicer people. Any any podcast recommendations from you, Steve? Um, I actually
1: don't listen to any, but I'd like to try this Austin Etiquette. Can you, can you tell me a little more of what it's about?
0: Uh, aw- awesome etiquette. Uh, awesome etiquette. Yes. Uh, we. It's a. You know, it goes beyond it goes beyond table setting and thank you notes and such. I think it uh, it gives you the 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 right tact and the right approach to potentially tricky situations in all walks of life. So right. generally helpful information. I'll with... check it out.
1: Maybe maybe we can make this podcast more
0: polite. <laughs> I'll yes. It yeah. <laughs> it, it, it harkens from the uh, the. Harkins from Emily Post, if, if many of you probably uh, re- recall that name. But uh, that's that's my recommendation for you this week. There are other good podcasts as well out there. We'll, uh, I'll get to those in due time. So um, our next podcast next Tuesday, um, we will uh, obviously go over everything and anything uh, in the world of tennis. So for Steve, I'm Ed. Thank you for listening Tennis.com Podcast.
1: You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.